All right. Um, nice to see you out there. So far away. Hello. Uh, I am using the microphone again just because we record. So I could obviously talk to you just with my regular voice. Um, but this is for the podcast. Um, thanks for coming out. This is Formation. Yeah. First for the year. Um, some of you have been before. Can you, can you, uh, you know, little hand, little hand raise if you've been to formation. Yes, a number of you. Little hand raise if you haven't been before, perhaps. Oh, yeah, a few people. Renee, you've been. Well, that's fine. Um, welcome. Uh, my name is Michael Frosty, or whatever you want to call me. Um, and I sort of facilitate this space. I guess you could say that. Pardon? Can I come closer? I could. I know it's just I'm under the light. And I like to be lit. Um, oh, <laughs> oh, we could do a. Oh, wow. Wow. Look, I can be based back there, but I will wander like this. And then, does, is, that, is that weird? No, that's not weird, eh? Thank you. I appreciate it. Anyway, um, I've got a few notices just to begin with, just to throw out at you uh, before we get into things. And then I want to just mention just briefly what we're about this year with formation and what we're trying to do. And then we'll get stuck in. Cool. So just a few things before we get going uh, to let you know of. Uh, we've Lent is starting this week, um, which if you're not sure what it is, then Linda will tell you. Uh, but it's the... It's the six weeks, really, the 40 days um, from this coming Wednesday, which is Ash Wednesday, uh, through to the Easter weekend, this period of Lent. And uh, it's usually a, a period of reflection and sometimes of giving something up, um, this kind of journeying with Christ towards the, the cross and the story of Jesus. Um, and during that time, there's going to be a bit of a, uh, a control-alt-delete. I don't know what that means. The reboot. Does that mean... Uh, you're closing down, or you're or you're restarting. A forced a forced stop. I don't know. There's a message in there somewhere. I won't overly uh, interpret it. Let's not be too literal. Anyway, there's a guys uh, group that's going to be meeting here uh, on Thursdays during Lent. Uh, just a time to share and reflect on that journey together. Uh, so you're welcome to attend that if you are one of the guys. Yes. A couple of other things. Oh, yes. Maybe I should have started with this one. Um, if you want to know what's going on in the life of Veg, there's lots of ways to find out. You can talk to a person. I'm a person. You could try that. Uh, or one of the other persons around who looks like they know something. Um, but you can also check out our website, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Or you can put your email address on the list for the newsletter on the table back there, and then you'll get a weekly email from us telling you all about... Life at Edge. Uh, last thing just for now is that as a church community, we're taking part in this thing that World Vision is doing uh, coming up, which is this Matthew 25 challenge based on the, the text where it's around uh, whatever we did, whatever you did for the least of these, you, you did for me in the words of Christ. Uh, and so basically what you do is you text in this number, 
with your name, and then they text you for a week with, with a series of reflections around that theme as a way to get us thinking beyond ourselves and beyond uh, just our own kind of Lenten journey, which sometimes can be this introspective time and actually also broadening us out into a larger thing that's taking place in the world and the kinds of people that are in need and what it means to reflect on that and to think about that and have that shape the way we engage in life. So feel free to do that. We'll be doing that together. Cool? All right. Well, I want to um, intro the first part of this series. We've, we've called this So Now What?, and um, for those who haven't been to Formation before, this is a space where we explore ideas, maybe theological beliefs. We've spent a bit of time kind of unpacking things and, and kind of poking and prodding at some of the beliefs that we hold, which sometimes tend to just operate on a default system in our brains, up in the old brain there. They just run like a little operating system, to continue that metaphor. Um, but what we're trying to do in formation is take some time to pause and reflect on some of those ideas and to ask some hard and not so hard questions of those ideas and to say, are those ideas ones that are in fact worth holding? Are they good ideas? Are they helpful? Are they reflective of what we think is really going on uh, in the story of what it means to be a Christ follower or Christian or a human being in the world? Um, and so that's what we are about in this kind of space. So we usually there's some talking, some sharing, and also some conversation and discussion, and then we finish with a meal together, uh, which is cool. What we try to do is keep this as an open space where we are kind to one another as we share our different views, because what we find is as we have discussion and conversation, people are in different places. Some of us uh, will have pulled lots of things apart and not know what on earth to do with any of it. Uh, some of us will still have some quite defined ways of thinking and believing and uh, and some of those beliefs then, even in that space, will differ from one another. And so what we're trying to do is have an attitude of generosity towards one another so that we can hold a space where we're able to be honest about what we really think, and that's okay, and we're not going to have someone come and whack us on the head with their uh, Bible verse that proves us wrong. Uh, so it's a space to be able to actually share genuinely together with one another, uh, which is cool. Yeah? Um, so we called it So Now What, and I don't know how long it's going to run for, actually. It might run all year as a, as a framing theme, but really what we're wanting to explore is, well, many of us, and, and I think a part of what it means to be a Christian, shouldn't pull a face when I say that word, but sometimes you do, um, is to be constantly re-evaluating, reforming uh, what it means to believe in God, what it means to uh, live in the world and relate to each other. And we've been going through a process of that as a community, I think. And uh, what we're wanting to do this year is to say, well, what does it look like maybe having, you know, being people who are on that journey to say, well, what does it mean to re-engage with, for some of us, the Bible again, to look at prayer, perhaps from some different perspectives, uh, and we're going to see what else unfolds across the course of the year. So we're going to spend a bit of time through until the middle of May talking about the Bible, and then we're gonna then we're gonna get stuck into prayer after that and think about what that might look like. Um, cool. You're right. Okay. Um, so we're starting this series of six sessions on the Bible, 
And um, tonight you can see there the topics, so I'll explain that in a minute. But uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be looking at the idea of true myths. Um, when you read the Bible, some, there's some very curious stories. There's talking donkeys, talking snakes, big fish that swallow people and spit them back out alive. There's um, all sorts of interesting accounts. There's a story about why there are so many languages in the world. There are all sorts of really interesting stories and what, what truth is held within these stories and how might we deal with some of those texts. Uh, we're going to look at reading scripture in the mystical tradition, which asks, in many senses, what does it mean to approach the text from the point of view of our experience um, and our experience of God. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the violent biblical texts. One of the things you do realise when you open up the Bible is that things get pretty uh, bloody quite quickly. You're not too long into it before everybody's trying to kill each other. And then God joins in too. Uh, and that can be a massive challenge for people when they even think about what to do with all of that, right? What do we do with all of this violence? And for many people in the world, I think they look at the Bible and they say, well, this is just silly. Why would we read this book with all of this violence and with a God who goes around wiping people out all the time? Um, and which seems to have God on the side of these people versus those people. And isn't that what's wrong with the world? So we're going to spend a bit of time wrestling with some of that. And we're going to look at how Jesus impacts on the way we read the whole of Scripture and then finish by really tying some of these themes together and say, how does reading Scripture and engaging with it actually um, participate in our own transformation? How are we transformed? What does that look like as we engage in Scripture? Does it? Cool? You all happy with that? Okay, well, that's where we're going. That's good. Would you mind standing just for a second? Even around the bays, people. That's good for the lactic acid. Um, if you don't mind closing your eyes, you don't have to, but if you don't mind. Take a deep breath in. And breath out. Breath in. And out. God, we thank you that you are present. That you are present in our breath. That you are present by your spirit among us, within us, between us, beneath us. Would you be present in our conversation and in our differences and in our similarities and in our sharing and our experiences and our stories as they collide together in this unique moment tonight? Would you invite us into a bigger way of seeing the world and of seeing you and of seeing one another. Amen. All right, have a seat. You're also welcome to just keep standing, I suppose, if you like. There are no rules, really. I feel like it would be a bit awkward, though.
Okay. That was air conditioning turning on, eh? Was it? Yeah, it's great. Love it. Um, so tonight, really, what I want to do is to think a little bit about what the Bible is and what that means for us when we come to read it. It's a curious thing, I think. We're going to talk about this idea of the Bible as wisdom or instruction manual, and maybe the, that title will, or that question will become a bit clearer as we go through. Um, but we all, I think, probably have a slightly different relationship with what we call the Bible. Uh, for some of you, you might get excited when you think about the Bible. I don't know, I'm just, you know, some of you might. Clint, I think, this morning said something about being excited when he thinks, didn't you say that? I think he did. It was lovely. So that might be your instant response when you hear, oh, we're talking about the Bible. Great, I love the Bible. That might be you. Um, for some of you, you might think you're supposed to love it, but you don't really. Uh, and I think that's probably a lot of Christians' experience. I know I'm really supposed to love this uh, and get something amazing out of it, but sometimes I open it up and I'm like, well, that bit's quite boring or weird, and I don't know what to do uh, with it, right? So sometimes there's that tension, and that tension has the added benefit of also you feel a bit guilty because you know, you're supposed to love it, but you're not sure that you really do. Um, some of you may have loved it in the past. You used to love it, but now you're not sure what to do with it. Um, I remember when I just used to love just the physical Bible, and I used to just, I just used to hold it close to my face, and I used to like sniff it, and I'd be like, oh, my Bible, oh, I love my Bible. <laughs> what a cute young man. Um, yes. And then, and then sometimes life takes you on a series of twists and turns and you're like, I used to love it and I used to get excited about it. Now I'm like, eh, I'm, not, I'm not sure about it anymore. I'd like, maybe I'd like to feel like I used to, maybe I missed that feeling or maybe I don't miss that feeling, I'm not sure. Um, for some of you, you might have had actually quite negative experiences of the Bible, um, which might be because it's been used in particular ways that end up being quite problematic. And that's become a difficult thing. And so when you think about the Bible, your instant thought is not joy, love, and excitement, but uh, trauma. So I'm not sure where your experience is. We're going to have a little bit of a chance to, to talk about some of that perhaps um, soon. Um, but I think what's probably fair to say, if you've been in and around the Edge community for a little while, is you know that we probably do talk about and use Scripture in ways a little bit different than uh, you might in your classic kind of more conservative evangelical or Pentecostal church or whatever it might be that, that are out there. Um, but that in itself can sometimes make you a bit unsure what to do with it. Um, and so sometimes the Bible just sits in this weird place of like, even for those who love it, not always sure what to do with it, um, how to read it, what it's really on about half the time. Uh, and perhaps that's not surprising. It's set in a very, very different time and written in a different way by very, to people very different to us. Um, I remember when I began studying theology, 
So I had, as you know, for those of you who've heard my story, apologies. I won't regale you with my life experiences once more, except to say that I had grown up within the church and within quite a, a conservative Pentecostal evangelical framework. And then I began studying theology uh, and eventually working towards my, you know, my thesis thing. And um, PhD, thank you. Yes, that's what it was. Uh, and I sat in class and I had been to church in and out every week, sometimes many times a week for my whole life, you know. My parents went off to Bible college when I was just a few months old, so I've kind of been immersed in this world of hearing the Bible talked about for my whole life. And then I was sitting in this class and the lecturer begins to teach and then I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> I've heard that passage talked about lots, but not in any way that resembles what you're saying. And what you seem to be saying makes way more sense than all of the things that I had heard. Uh, this is just, I'm not saying this is your experience necessarily. This was just mine. And I was like, oh, what, what is that? That was both intriguing and also a bit concerning because you're like, how can I have been in and around Christianity for so long and not actually know what this was about? Um, and that began a journey for me, I think, of in, in many respects, pulling apart and putting back together again my relationship with the Bible in a process I think I'm always going to be then on in some kind of way. Um, and so this began to happen repeatedly. Um, and that's, in many respects, I think I ended up in this place where, oh, I'm not actually sure what to do anymore because I've got all of these ways I've been taught, you know, oh, I should sit down and read my Bible and then God will speak to me and that's cool. And so I would do that. And then I found myself in these spaces where I realized there were all sorts of different things going on and ways to read that didn't just involve opening up my Bible and stabbing my finger at a passage and going, speak to me, uh, which is kind of the basic approach that I had for most of my early life. Um, I remember there's a story in the Bible about the widow's mite. Has anyone ever read the story of the widow and her coin or coins? Anyone? Yes? I just want to look at it real briefly as an example of the way I got a little discombobulated. Uh, okay, so it's in Luke 21. <sighs> Laura, why don't you read this passage for us? As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Thanks. Now, I had, before I really uh, engaged with this text in a serious way, I had heard it spoken many times in my life with great enthusiasm about giving money to the, to the church, actually, which is a wonderful thing to do. Please do. Um, but I had, I had engaged with this text. I had heard it preached many times about how, and we, like the widow, should also give lots of what we have. Um, and, you know, you might be 
and we were all pretty well off. And so actually what we've got to do is like up our giving to the you know, massive degree so that we can be as sacrificial as this wonderful widow who is commended by Jesus for putting in uh, her two copper coins even though she hardly had anything. And um, that's inspiring. So I'll be like, yes, okay, good. Give them all, yes. Woo, put the money in the thing. Yeah, I got pretty excited about that. Um, anyway, it did delay, you know, buying a house for quite a few years. <laughs> yeah. No, but it was good, you know, very generous. Um, so that's good. And then uh, I heard someone begin to teach about this uh, in context. And they were like, you know, Jesus doesn't actually say we should all do what the widow does. And I was like, wait. No, well, that's what it says. Yeah, that's what it says in the story, you know. And you should be like the widow and, and give lots too because that's always the kind of context I'd had it in. And they're like, no, it doesn't say that. And then we read through the passage and I realised, no, it doesn't say that we should be like the widow. What it actually says is that she's in poverty and she put in all she had to live on. And she's a widow. And in the first century in this world, that's a tough spot to be in because you're a woman who's typically dependent unfortunately, uh, in the system and the way the system works on the man and his ability to go out and earn uh, because you sort of are part of the property of his household. So when the man dies and the widow is left, the widow often has very little means to make any kind of income. And so she puts in all she has to live on. Okay. And then you read the little passage before it and the little passage after it. So here's the passage before it, immediately before it. It's in the previous chapter, but it's actually, but obviously we put in, you know, we put in the chapters sort of later. But actually, this is the the this is the verses immediately before that. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, "Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses." And for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. <laughs> um, so Jesus is a bit intense at this moment. What's he intense about? Well, he's intense about a few things. But one of them is devouring widows' houses. They had created a system wherein uh, they pressed and pushed people like widows into feeling so guilty that they had to give even the last little bit that they had to live on into the temple system to feed the banquets and important seats of the religious men. Um, these widows' houses were being devoured. Now, if you read the text immediately after the story of the widow, some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus says, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. And so what we have is this passage where Jesus says, religious system and these religious men are devouring widows' houses. Here's this widow. She's just put in everything that she has to live on, even though she's desperately poor. This temple will be torn down. That's kind of the way this story goes, right? Does that make sense? And I was like, wait, that is not a good offering talk at church. 
for why we should all give lots of money. Um, in fact, it's kind of been used in many respects and many times, exactly the opposite of what Jesus was trying to demonstrate in this particular story, which is we must look out for these widows and ensure that that's not what the system demands of them so that they end up out of the pressure of the system putting everything they have to live on and so probably um, dying. Right? Does that make sense? Now, you don't have to necessarily agree with my interpretation just then. That's cool because we're good like that. But for me, this kind of experience of reading the text this way and learning and being taught about what's really going on in some of these stories made me think, oh, there's so much of the Bible that I actually don't know what's really going on. I thought I knew a lot of what was going on, and really I don't know much of what's going on. Um, and so my confidence actually in engaging with the Bible just kind of disappeared out from under me. Because uh, in one respect, that was great for that passage. What a great idea I have for that now, but I don't have a lecturer walking around with me explaining every passage to me every time I open up the Bible. And am I going to, you know, now I did because I went on and did study like a nerd. But uh, for many people, they don't then go, right, well, now I'm going to read 10 books every time I want to open up a verse so that I can learn all the stuff so that then I can read it properly, right? So for a lot of people... Um, sometimes then what do we do with the texts that we read and how do we engage in them if we don't even know really what's going on in them. So I kind of ended up in this place and I feel like a lot of people I know are in the kind of place. It might not be you, but maybe I don't want to read it like that anymore, but I don't know how to do it like I want to, if that makes sense. I know I'd like to maybe read it differently, but I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. Um, what is that process? How do we do that? Especially for a lot of people who are trained to sit down at home and get revelation from God when they pick up the Bible. Um, then that becomes a bit a lot of pressure. All right. That's some of my experience, which may or may not be similar or different to some of yours, right? Um, but what we're hoping is that wherever you're kind of at on your, that spectrum and in your relationship with Scripture, that as we go through these sessions, we're going to talk about some ways of approaching Bible, of thinking about Scripture. We can't solve all of our problems with it. Can't, in six sessions, just make us all brilliant uh, readers and interpreters of the text from here until the end of time. Um, but hopefully what we can do is open up a conversation and have a discussion together about some of the ways we can, we might find it helpful to approach Bible. Yeah? Um, so I thought we could have a bit of a discussion question at this point, because you know I love a good discussion question, if you've been here before. What I love, oh man, I love a good little just getting into small groups and having a little discussion and then feeding back to the large group. I love that. Um, so that's what we're going to do. And I'd like you to think about this question. Uh, describe one positive and one negative experience you've had in relation to the Bible. Now, if you have no positive experiences, that's fine. Just If you have no negative experiences, that's fine. But if you have some of each, then try think about one of each. And if you have no experiences with the Bible at all, that's fine too. You can feel free to say that. So um, 
And when I say experience you've had in relation to the Bible, this might be your own reading of it. This might be someone else's reading and interpreting of it and what that's meant for you, positively or negatively. Um, it might just be broadly your relationship with the Bible and how you think about it. So does that question make sense? Yeah? Okay. So in, sort of in little pockets of three or four, which you're kind of roughly grouped into, um, have a discussion around that question. Thanks. All right. Um, Would anyone mind um, sharing one of those experiences with the large group? Um, a particularly either positive or negative, those are very polarizing words, but sometimes it's actually for people it's a mixture of positive and negative almost at the same time. But um, Or some people, you look like a bunch of people who've just had great experiences with everything. Um, but anyone happy to share a little story that came up in that conversation? Go on, Laura. So, bear in mind, I'm American. Okay, um, so I went to a Christian school. I had a teacher that was like kind of like a small group leader thingy that I used to go to. And he was from the South, which says a lot. Anyway, that's a generalization as well, but you know. And um, I, was, I was a teenager and having a tricky time at home, but I was a really fervent Christian kid and loved the Bible and really wanted to do my best to to obey it and I was I was difficult with my parents at the time stepdad blah 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 so I had been expressing that um to him and then we end up he ends up saying oh, I need to have a meeting with you and your parents and he brings his big old bible he had a big bible he's from the south and he was like all right we're gonna just talk about what it says about being disobedient or disrespectful to your parents and I didn't know this is what he was gonna do and so he sat me down with my parents called my parents in and said, did you know the Bible says that, this is from some Old Testament scripture, that you deserve to be stoned if you're this disrespectful. And I'm like, I'm like the good kid, like the kid who's like, really? And of course, I should have been sassy and been like, sit down, that is weird. But my parents are like, wow, this is so weird. And anyway, I went home and I just cried for hours. And I was like, I guess I deserve to die. I'm a bad person. The Bible says I should be stoned. It's not that time of age anymore. But what do I do? Like... I just repented for hours and like, it was just so weird. Sorry, everybody. Now you're part of my trauma. Okay. Sharing, sharing trauma is a wonderful thing. That that, oh, that was a negative experience? Thank you for clarifying. Yes. <laughs> and I've been obedient ever since and it's just been wonderful. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Laura. Uh, all right. Anyone else want to share something? Yeah, Jason. Um, I think for a lot of people anyway, for me, um, culture and the Bible is so completely mixed up that what happens is we're, we're not seeing a, an unfiltered view of the Bible. We're seeing what our parents think, what churches think. And for me, the problem with the church is the church. Um, and everything the church says over my life anyway, has been shown to be pretty much the exact opposite of what I should be taking notice of. Um, and um, that's that's a difficult thing. Um, 
if you grow up in uh, a fundamentalist kind of tradition where people basically interpret everything and their interpretations are not correct, but there's no alternative. And um, so uh, what I'm interested in getting out of this is the difference between um, the cultural tradition and some other way into um, insight. Thanks, man. That's a great reflection. Yeah. Yes, Josh. <clears throat> so for me, the the positive, for me, the most positive thing about the Bible is, I guess, the archetype of Jesus, as as sort of the anti-establishment, non-conforming, you know, loving, you know, serving the poor, all of those things. I never, I don't think I, to this day, have found. Like a pic, like a picture of someone that complex with so many things that I think are so fundamentally right, and he's also like just to be willing to die for what you believe. I think is um, you know without fighting back. I think is a really like amazing picture of something you know technically we could all do. Who knows <laughs> you know if we actually would, but you know. And then for me, I guess. What I don't like about it, the opposite would be sort of like the, I guess like the law and the idea that the law should be in, should be enforced, you know, by force and that God is into that. To me, I, I don't see how those two things go together when it's that law of force that killed Jesus. And then to say, oh, but then the law is good as well. It's like, I just, so for me, there's like, I'm always trying to figure out like, how to how to deal with those two things. Thanks, man. That's a really interesting reflection. Yeah. Anyone else? Kath. I um I have I come from a uh, Bible chapel background, so I was actually just thinking about the positive, and I think pretty much for a good chunk of my up until in my early 20s, like most of my Bible experience was positive. I mean, if you've got any, uh, if you know about Bible chapels, it's like about, sorry, brethren. Um, it's about the Bible. But we were this great eclectic mix of open um, brethren. And actually the main, our main uh, pastor at the time, he went on to become the principal of Laidlaw. Um, so, yeah, I think for me it was positive. It was really informative, but... In a great way. Thanks, Kath. Cool. Yes, Patricia. I didn't actually uh, get to talk about this before. <laughs> um, I would say all of my experiences with the Bible were positive because I know that my parents used it to the best of their ability to raise us to be good kids and um, raised with, I guess, like a set of values that help us get through life. Um, There's certain scriptures that I can still quote because my parents quoted them for us to learn and I guess they were um, correcting us in a sense of loving us and showing us how to live, I guess, the right way or like in a way that's good for us. Um, so 
that's my only sort of connection with the Bible through being raised that way. But um, negative experience was just that I've been pushed to, I guess, for like Sunday school and youth camps or youth groups, youth leaders, been pushed into learning certain sections of the Bible off by heart or not. I made, I sort of had the impression sometimes that I wasn't good enough um, because I couldn't find out where this book was in the Bible um, or like, oh, was this the Old or the New Testament or was it what the, the name of this guy? Was it, was it this name, that name? Oh, I don't remember. It was, I wasn't really good at that in school and I thought I didn't come to church to be schooled again, but it did feel like that. Um, and then I sort of came away from, I think youth events were probably pretty, um, I guess, a little traumatizing in that sense because you came away with a kind of tr pressure on your shoulders to be able to say these kind of scriptures to non-Christians and try to convince them of the one and only way and like the truth and stuff only by quoting them the Bible. Um, and that was a negative experience. But um, yeah, I like the positive one more. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Fair, fair point to like the positive ones better. Um, thank you. It's really nice to hear each other's stories. I think one of the things that can happen sometimes in church community is that we come and go and sort of float past one another. But we all have our own story that has brought us to this point, filled with all sorts of different experiences, you know. Um, and I think, you know, my own experiences with the Bible have been both have been, I, I have vivid memories of these moments where I feel like, man, everything has just become clear. I've read this thing or I've heard this thing and it's the world has opened up to me in some kind of wonderful way or in a more gentle, less spectacular way. And yet other times when it's it's been the opposite and, what, and, the, and it's been used, whether by me or by others, to kind of squeeze and to pressurise and to lay upon a, a heavy kind of weight. I do remember um, taking, in my when I was about 13, after the service, there was some leftover communion. And I was in the kitchen having a little extra juice and bread. You take all the little bits of bread and you squish them all together into a little ball and then you know, it's very exciting. Um, white bread's good for that. Anyway, an elderly gentleman in the church discovered me and was outraged and said, you have eaten the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner and you have brought a curse down upon yourself. You must go to the minister and plead with him that God would forgive you, um, lest you, you know, because, you know, anyway. Uh, that was a good one. The minister was my dad, so I was like, Dad, that's what that guy said. He's like, fortunately, he was like, don't worry about that. That's... Um, you know, that's, that's like, it's amazing how this one resource can have such a multitude and a variety of experiences for people, depending on the way it's being used, on the way people approach it, and even, you know, uh, you can end up in a, you know, in thinking about sort of convincing people. I grew up with, um, <laughs> with sort of my mum debating, she loved a good debate with the Jehovah's Witnesses at the door, you know, and it was kind of like a battle off with scriptures, and oh, I see your... You know, John 3, 3, and I raise you, and Matthew 5, 11, and, you know, it was, um, it was very kind of, but they got nowhere, right? It was just lobbing verses at one another. Um, 
until until mum said we should call down a um, display from heaven and God will prove who's correct. Um, anyway, uh, lots of different experiences, good and bad. And what I don't want to assume is that oh, everyone's got a terrible relationship with the Bible and we're going to fix it. Uh, it's more about saying, actually, we've got a variety of experiences and for many of us, it's a mixture. Um, but what are some ways of moving forward? Because even for some of us with positive experiences, that doesn't always mean we kind of know what to do with it either. Um, yeah? So that's, uh, that's kind of where we're, we're heading and what I want to talk a little bit about in the second half if you haven't been to formation before, we do, we do have a half-time break, just in case the intensity's gone up too many levels. <laughs> Chance to breathe out uh, and get a cup of tea or iced tea in this case. Thank you, Katarina, for providing us with iced tea and also with lollies. Wonderful. Um, so we're going to have a little break. Before we do, um, just a quick mention that uh, you can give into the life of the Edge community. Uh, and if you want to do that during the break, you can. There's those ways on the screen. Um, FBOS machine up the back if you'd like to give. Because what we like to do around here is, is, is have power that comes through the old uh, cords and makes things go. And a room to meet in and people to talk and chairs to sit on. So uh, if you could think about how you might give into the life of the community, that'd be really cool. We're going to have a break. We'll be back. After these messages, after this tea, in like five minutes. Cool. All right, we'll uh, get started again. Okay, you doing all right? Well, what are you going to say? No? <laughs> um, oh, Kath changed spots. Yeah. Oh, that was your discussion group. I see. I thought you were just roving, which you're welcome to do. Of course you're welcome to do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so what we want to do with the rest of our time, which is not a long time, is think a little bit about uh, what the Bible is. I want to share, I guess, some of my reflections uh, and see if that's a helpful way for us to start thinking about things. It's certainly not a requirement that you agree with me. But I'm going to offer you my thoughts, and we'll see how we go. Um, so what kind of book is the Bible? Well, I guess the first thing we might say is that it's not one book. And if you know, I guess, if you went to Sunday school and did try to memorize all the things, how many books in the Bible are there? 60. 60. Oh, Fantastic. I still remember winning a packet of wine gums at Sunday school for being able to recite all the books of the Bible in order at four years old. Man, I tell you what, I was such a good Christian. Um, no, I can't do it now. <laughs> I could do it then. I can't do it now and I got a PhD. Ah, what good was that? Not good for memorizing the order of books in the Bible, apparently. I know. Um, I've gone backwards. But it's 66 books across quite a significant period of time by a number of different people and sometimes bits of different oral traditions then edited together by someone later 
Um, hundreds of years later, absolutely. Sometimes a book has had multiple editors. Um, so you've got a complicated thing in your hand when you are thinking about reading the Bible, right? And uh, it's not uniform or straightforward or linear. So if you start at the beginning, you think, I'll just follow the story through from start to end. Then you keep going backwards and forwards and all over the place. It can get very confusing for people because, you know, suddenly you're in the exile, which is like at the end of the Old Testament story, but you're not at the end of the Old Testament. Uh, you're jumping all around the place. The prophets are prophesying to the nation at different times. And um, at times the story, bits of the story are retold by different authors in different books and slightly differently, to be honest, with different details. Um, so it's complicated. And there are lots of different genres. Can you think about what would be some of the genres that you would find in the biblical text? Poetry, there's one. Allegory. Oh, yes. Hmm? Letters. Yes. No, I thought you said lettuce originally, like the, the vegetable. But letters, which we write. Yes, letters. That's right. Anything else? Songs. Yeah. Apocalyptic. Oh, I like that, Esther. Yes. Wisdom. Wisdom literature. Yes. Genealogies. Someone said the law. Yes. The law. Anything else? Yeah. Like the creation story, which is an interesting um, mixture of poetry, myth, and... Um, and narrative, kind of all wound together. Narrative is another one, of course, stories. Parables, yeah. Non-fiction. <laughs> there are biography. There are biographies. So, so the gospels. Some of the gospels are written in this kind of. Uh, not biographies as we would write them now, but biographies as they were written in the first century. Um, Greek historiography, we want, you know, for example, like Luke is that, which is like a version of a biography. Prophecy, yeah, and often these sometimes these things are combined, so you can have poetry that's prophecy that's also a song that's apocalyptic. So that's fun. Um, And apocalyptic text, so you have your big books, like what's a big uh, apocalyptic book? Revelation. But also half of the book of Daniel, you'll find is that apocalyptic style, where you've got these kind of wild images, right? But it also pops up in the middle of other places as well. So suddenly Jesus breaks into a bit of a, the sun will be dark and the stars will fall from the sky. That's very apocalyptic uh, language, often used in kind of resistance to empire and so on. Right. So lots of different genres of writing. So what do we do with all of that? Because there's poetry, um, what's, what's poetry going to do? What's it trying to do? You know, those questions come up for us when we go to read um, the text. Um, and one of the things, so that's, these are just a few things to bear in mind. Long period of time in cultures vastly different from ours. Yes. And even over the course of the text, vastly different from one another as well, uh, and in multiple languages, none of which are English, uh, and none of which are modern day languages 
in, in the form that we have them now. So that complicates how we go about thinking about even what the Bible is to begin with, right? So if we're trying to uncomplicate this so far, I'm doing a poor job. Uh, to complicate things just a bit more, but I think this is a really important point for me in my reading of the text. You can agree with this or not. But um, I think a lot of readers of the Bible assume that when they read the Bible, no matter where they read in it, the people in the stories and the authors of the stories all have the same idea of God in their head, right? So when you read the word God, everybody knows, oh, we're talking about that God. And they've got a big concept of that God sitting there. And they all pretty much have the same concept of God in their head when they talk about God. It's just that that God is interacting in different ways at different times, right? But when we do dig into the text, we find that that's not the case. In fact, they have different ideas of God. Uh, Their idea of God is forming over time. And in fact, sometimes they are kind of jostling and wrestling, trying to say, well, what do we think God is actually like? And so someone will be arguing for a God who loves the foreigner and wants to include them, and someone else will be arguing for the kind of God who wants to keep the foreigner out, for example. So that kind of argument's going on at times in the text, right? Um, We even think about um, the fact that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are often talked about as the three great monotheistic religions. What does that mean? Belief in one God. But the Israelites in the Old Testament don't start out actually believing in one God because they often talk about um, the God, the king above all gods, for example. Uh, and there are all sorts of things when you dive into the Hebrew text where you recognize at times, not all the time, but at times, they believe there's one God they should worship, but they do believe at times in other gods too. And over time come to this conclusion that, in fact, uh, there is one God. Now, so for example, you have different names for God, right? Um, And they're translated slightly differently in English. So we have Elohim, which is often translated the Most High God. We have uh, Yahweh, although we don't really know how it's said because there were no vowels given to us in the Hebrew for that particular word, which was kind of the unique ancient Israelite name for God. There's Adonai, uh, which is a word that means Lord. There's Jehovah, which is a word which takes the vowel sounds from Adonai and sticks them with the consonant sounds from Yahweh to make a new word. Um, So there are all these different words God. So you, you might read the Lord God, which is the Adonai Jehovah, right? Or you might read the Most High God, which is Elohim. Uh, or you might read of the Many-Breasted God, which is El Shaddai. Um, and so there are these all of these different names for God that are being used within the tradition over time as well. Incidentally, the Many-Breasted God, when men tried to figure out what they should translate that as, they changed that to the God of the Mountain, you know. Uh, which <laughs> sounds much more masculine, which is obviously very important. Anyway, um, so we have this um, forming and reforming and transforming view of God that's taking place in the text itself. Is that discombobulating or is that okay? It's all right? Or both. <laughs> 
discombobulating and okay at the same time. Now, the, the reason I say this is because I think, you know, I said it, uh, the title for this is Wisdom or Instruction Manual. And if you have in your, in your head that everybody's got exactly the same ideas in the Bible, it's just that it's happening in different ways and different stories, then you're right, right, this is always teaching us the same consistent thing and everybody had the same ideas and everybody's always believed the same right things about God. And so our task is to read the Bible and learn exactly the right things to believe about God too so that we can be the right people believing the right things. Yeah? So that's one way to, to go about it. Um, but I think there's a much more interesting invitation when we read Scripture. Um, is that we're entering into this long, long tradition of wrestling with the idea of God and of what it means to be human in light of that and what it means to interpret our own experience and our own reality and our own life and the light of the things that we might believe about God. Um, you know, the Torah gives all of these instructions because it is there, there's a law and instruction, for example, about what all the animals to sacrifice. Then later on, Jeremiah says, the Lord God says to you, when I brought you out of Egypt, I didn't tell you to do any sacrifices. <laughs> and you're like, wait, but that's just what the Torah, Torah says, right? Um, so Jeremiah says, well, I'm going to offer you a vision of God that says that's not actually what I asked you to do. And so there's ongoing risk. Now, when you talk to um, Jewish uh, interpreters of their text, they are entirely, generally speaking, very comfortable with this idea of entering into the wrestle, entering into the conversation, into the argument, if you like, about God, into the tradition of what it is to say, who is this God that we are uh, thinking about, talking about, that we experience and that we then interpret and try and figure out what our experience means. Um, Jewish readers of the text are often very comfortable with that idea, but many of us, especially in the modern Christian world, especially, have been taught this very linear clinical view of the text uh, that makes us uncomfortable with the idea of entering into an, a long-term discussion about God and then about what it is to live uh, a wise and flourishing life in relation to that God and to one another. And so in that sense... Uh, my suggestion to you uh, is that rather than picking up the Bible, opening up a passage and going, right, what are the principles here being taught to me personally right now that I can apply to my life and it's going to um, fix everything? Um, what if we can read, but we can also then step back and ask a series of questions that might invite us into the conversation? Firstly, I think it does take a little of the pressure off to immediately come up with the right answer. Um, but it also then invites us into a, a much more robust conversation, actually. Uh, and so sometimes people, when they hear you talking a bit like this about the Bible, they say, you're not taking the Bible seriously. Um, but I think you're taking it much more seriously in many respects because you're willing to get down and into it, right? You've, I was going to say down and dirty, but I don't think that's the right phrase. But maybe it is the right phrase, but I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean it in a wonderful way. Um, <laughs> You know, we enter into this text and we, we wrestle with it together. Yeah? All right. Um, and so what we have in this uh, big book 
is an invitation into wisdom, into the wisdom tradition. Now, there are particular wisdom texts in the Bible as a genre, so like Proverbs or Job, for example. Um, but also as a whole, we can treat that as this, it's this sacred invitation into the journey of discovering what wisdom looks like in our lives, both in relation to understanding God and ourselves and one another and our place in the world. Um, so we're invited into the process. So here's this quote from uh, Peter Enns. Did I have the giving slide up that whole time? That was powerful. That was just sublim- that was subliminal. Because <laughs> I ruined my widow's mite story, so I couldn't use that. Um, Peter Enns, who's a, uh, an Old Testament scholar, um, says this. No part of my faith can steer clear from wisdom questions. What is God like here and now? What do I mean when I say God? What does it mean to believe and trust in this God? I ponder these questions by taking seriously this ancient, ambiguous and diverse Bible we have, as well as honouring my humanity, my experiences, my reasoning, when and where I was born, and I try to get all these factors to talk to each other. Um, Now the pain of this is that that's like, it's... um, that's an ongoing conversation and process rather than, right, what I was hoping for was three top tips to go home, open up my Bible and be like, boom, I totally understand this. It's amazing. Um, but I think that that actually does the Bible a disservice. It's, it's much more, uh, it has much more to it. There's much more going on here than that. Um, and I think this helps us to avoid a couple of things. Firstly, it helps us to avoid trying to take everything literally and as a direct instruction for my life. And that leads you in two directions. One, you become kind of a fundamentalist. Or two, you become like a, a Richard Dawkins kind of atheist. Because I think that the fundamentalist and, and the Dawkins kind of atheist read the Bible quite similarly. Which is they read it very literally and say, well, this is what it says. And so that's what it means. And this is, this is how it is. And the fundamentalist says, and that's great. And I believe it. And it's wonderful. And, and the Dawkins atheist says, that's ridiculous. I think that's silly. Why would anyone believe that, right? But both of them are kind of treating the text similarly, even if they have fundamentally different beliefs about its validity, yeah? Uh, But I think both of those readings can be problematic. Um, So instead, I think what we can do is recognize that the kinds of things the authors of Scripture are wrestling with are in so many respects the same things we wrestle with now. So even though there's this big gap in time and culture and distance and language, when we look at the stories and the way they unfold, there's like we are we are the same creatures, right? Human beings are the same thing. Um, now we're sitting here with electricity and iced tea and very civilized conversation, um, and iPhones and whatever we've got, right? Uh, that make us feel like we're very very different, but we are still wrestling with jealousy and anger and rage and our upbringing and our identity and what it means to relate to someone who's very different to me, and how to make sense of the world I live in. These are all fundamental human questions that are not new, but are very old, and that we find being wrestled with in this ancient text. And if we want to just throw that all out and say, well, I can figure this all out fresh myself, well, that's kind of an arrogant move to make, I think. Instead, what we're saying is let's draw into this uh, deep and ancient story into this long conversation that we've been having about God and about one another because there's lots of wisdom 
to be found in that conversation. Yeah? Um, so, in particular then, perhaps, this is the last kind of thought before I have one more question, um, is that as a Christian, we do read the Bible then in, in particular kinds of ways. Now, often very different from one another, but I think central to my thinking about the Bible as someone who follows Christ is that Jesus in particular comes to say something about God. John's way of putting this is that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word becomes flesh. That somehow the Jesus story comes to say something to us about God. Uh, and that language is very similar to the way they would talk about ancient wisdom, the wisdom of God coming to us in the flesh in the story of Jesus. And so we'll talk about this in a few sessions' time if you stick with us. Which is to say, well, okay, if Jesus says to us certain things, and Jesus lands on the certain side of particular arguments that have been had for hundreds of years in the text. So people have been going, is God like this or is God like this? And some are saying like this and others are saying that. And Jesus comes and in his life and his message actually says, well, this is the kind of God I'm presenting to you. And so that means we then go back and read some of those earlier texts with that story in mind and ask, how does that transform the way that we engage in this whole business? Does that make sense? Good. Um, I'm not sure if that was a resounding yes or not. Um, my, my encouragement to us is that reading the Bible and making some sense of it is not something you should feel pressure that you have to do by yourself or that you have to be able to solve quickly. But that actually a part of what Christian community is about is about doing this together. So you don't have to go out of here and read four chapters a day to stick to your Bible reading plan between now and the next time, unless you would like to because you love to do that. The aim is not to turn you all into Bible nerds who are all now going to go off and get your PhD in biblical studies so that you can now know what you're doing when you read the Bible. The aim is that as a community, we learn what it is to talk together about what's going on in this ancient story that might help us discover what it is to live in the world, to believe in God, and to relate to one another in healthy and whole ways. Is that cool? All right. Um, so let's finish with this question. Um, and we'll have like a five-minute conversation on this, and then we're ready for dinner. Um, now, that might seem like a really big question, even especially because the first two of two of the first three words are big questions. Uh, what big questions come up for you when you think about reading and engaging with the Bible? Now, what I'm not necessarily meaning is I was reading Matthew 11 verse 12 the other day, and this and I want to know about this particular verse. Although that might be a big question for you right now, and that's totally cool. You can say that if you'd like. But also, what are some of the the bigger questions about even sort of approaching the Bible that you have that circle around for you? Um, what comes up for you when you think about reading the Bible? What big questions emerge? Um, and my hope is that as we go through this series, we're going to find some ways through this together. So if you feel a bit discombobulated tonight, 
gosh, I, I, I'm always like, oh, this is, uh, this is the, so now what? Now we're going to put everything back together, but we'll just pull a little bit more out and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way forward. Um, yes, so, so if you're feeling a bit unsettled by the conversation, that's all right, in two weeks we'll pick it back up and carry on. <laughs> and in the meantime, you can ponder things in your heart and talk with one another. You're allowed to do that too, not just when I tell you to. So, just for three minutes, four minutes, five minutes tops, have a quick conversation with the people next to you about the big questions that might come up for you when, when you think about when you think about reading and engaging with the Bible. What are some of the big things? Big things. All right. All right. Um. Good conversation, hopefully. What I would love um, is if you do come back in a couple of weeks' time for the next instalment, uh, that you think a little bit more about that question and maybe you, um, you're happy to bring some of those questions along. We might even get people to write them down. That might be an idea. Because um, I'd be really curious and interested to know what kind of questions do come out. But does anyone want to just share a, a any particular big one that jumped out at them while they were having that conversation? Yeah. Um, my big question is, why should I read the Bible if I'm going to interpret it wrong anyway? Right. That was very much the question that emerged for me when I started studying. Right? I was like, ah, well, I had no idea what I was doing. In which case, what should I do? Um, what, are, what we are going to try and do along this time as well is, is employ some practices together. Um, we're going to look at some texts together um, and hopefully that will help give us some ways of thinking about that. Um, but yeah, I think that's a really valid question to, set, to sit with. Um, is it big enough? That was a big enough question, yes. Ding, ding, ding. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, anyone else? Yes. Um, my question is, if after years of staying away from a church or the Bible, if I'm going to find it interesting again, because I feel like maybe I've already gone through so many stories and there's like an old filter that's still in place in my brain blocking any kind of openness towards it um, or maybe even feeling... Like, is there anything still there that's fresh and new for me to discover? Haven't I learned everything already? <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's a big question. That's why I haven't really started reading the Bible yet after a few years. I'm just, just not feeling ready for it. Yeah. Thank you. That's great, honest reflection. Awesome. Yes, Linda. Um, just came out before this, the first question. Um, I think that for me, the, <clears throat> it's a, it's about having a relationship with the Bible. And so I realised that over time, I've had, I have been in love with the Bible, and I've broken up with the Bible, and I've picked it up again. But it's always been a new one with a new cover. 
or a new version or a nice smell <laughs> a bit like you. But it's definitely relationship with the Bible. And I recently sat with my – sometimes when I feel like I'm not having a good relationship with the Bible, <clears throat> I just put it on the bench so I can see it. And I go, hmm, yeah, I, I want to – I'll get to you. I really do care, but I just have to sort some things out. You know, and I've allowed it to become a real and living text because it does talk about its living. And so I think I've almost personalised it as a – as a, as a companion. Sometimes I just go, other times I go, come here. Yeah. And that's been the journey. I realise now that's been the journey over my years. So, um, But I want to love it. I have said, I want to fall in love with you again. Because I think it's a beautiful, beautiful text. Yeah. But not to interpret, but to live in, I suppose, you. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Anyone else? A burning question that they want to share? It doesn't have to be burning, literally. Yeah, Renee. Two. I'm going to add two. They're big in my mind. One of them was, um, but I don't even know how big they really are. One was, as you go away, rethink about how you think about the Bible and then come back to those stories do they take on a new shape and meaning? And I'm, I'm assuming, of course, and, and I feel yes, but how does, how does that happen that you can relook at something and it's completely transformed but the words haven't changed at all? Um, I was almost like, what's has that been your experience? Um, and the other question was, is there space for, like, the oral tradition? Like, you know, it was oral until the printing press came not that long ago. And I've thought at times when I have gone to a talk with um, people that have an oral tradition normally speak in such a way that was quite repetitive and helpful for my, I was like, I don't actually enjoy reading. I've never enjoyed it. I've never read the Bible very much. I find it tedious in general and I way prefer to talk something out. I would rather not write you the question. I'd rather say it to you because it's easier, you know? And I thought, I, I don't even know what this question is, but it's kind of like a, is there space for the oral tradition that has been the way that these stories have been passed right up until not very long ago, in a sense. Yeah. I think in some, I'll come to you in a second. Um, both of you, hands shot up. Yes. Um, that's, a, that's, that's great. Great question. And I think one of the curious things about our relationship with the Bible now, which is this very kind of, for many people, this feeling that I should be able to sit down with it and, and get all of this stuff from it, which may be your experience, but is only a relatively recent way of engaging with the Bible uh, that um, for, for most of its history, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, we're not sitting in the laps and homes of every Christian person. Um, now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing that they do, but one of the implications of the fact that they do is that people then feel this individual pressure to be able to read it and make sense of it by themselves. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And many people, when they come into the Christian faith, the first thing they're told is, well, read your Bible and pray every day. And, and you sit down, okay, all right, this is new. Um, all right, and then they slit the bull's throat and put it on. Oh, gosh, that's gotten pretty intense pretty quick. Um, 
a lot of blood, uh, or try and read the Bible through, you know, from start to finish, and get stuck either in Leviticus or Numbers or something somewhere, or the dimensions of the ark, which seem to go on for I don't know how many chapters, and I'd always run into trouble, you know. Um, but yeah, that 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 idea that they are oral traditions and 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 are were passed down in that kind of way, uh, and then collected together in a written form, and still then held really by a few people who could then continue to teach those traditions. Um, look, it's not a bad thing that we all have access to it, but it does have implications for our relationship with it and how we think about it. And I think that's a, that's a, a great reflection and question. Yes, we'll come to you guys and then, then we'll wrap up. Who goes first? Uh, how can you, um, or for me, how can I read and engage the Bible so that I can relate to people that I used to be like? Oh, I can, I can, my comments on from You that. know? My, my question is similar. Um, how can I effectively read the Bible and study the Bible in community? Because, um, you know, we understand that it's not just this community, but it's the community of thousands of years of reading the Bible and there's so much effective, so much wonderful wisdom and commentaries and so forth that we can't ignore. In fact, we enjoy. At the same time, there are people who would slit each other's throats because they disagree in the way they interpret the Bible. And that's literally, <laughs> and that happens, and, they, and, we, and we fall apart as communities because of how, how we differently understand what it says in the Bible. So my question is, how do we effectively read the Bible in community? Well, hopefully at Formation we won't end up with all-out warfare. Um, there, are, uh, there are not many rules at Formation, but slitting people's throats is definitely on the no-no list. Um, but yeah, you're, you know, when you look at the history of, of religious tradition and the Christian tradition itself, um, bloody violence has spilled out because of different interpretations of, of, of text. Uh, and so... What does it mean to be able to, as a community, and this is part of why I think what we're trying to do in formation and what I said at the beginning was um, how can we have generosity and kindness toward us, toward one another, as a fundamental kind of starting point in this conversation uh, so that we can work out what it does mean. And I think one of the other challenges in, in community is what does it look like when we live busy, urban lives where none of us actually live next door to each other, I don't think. Um, we see each other not very often, especially in an actual sit down and let's have a conversation type of moment. So how do you how do you do that together in the kind of modern world that, that we live in as well? Um, and yes, and how do we do so in ways that don't lead us to warring over our various interpretations? I think those are great questions. All right. Yes, Katerina. Oh, okay. Last, last word. Um, and I actually almost want, I want to cry. Um, how happy I am this evening to be sitting with a bunch of people like we are. You know, out of all the things that can happen at the beginning of the year, you have to do this again and that again and that again. And, and, and I have to admit, I thought, okay, formation again, you know, third year, but, you know, like Frosty, blah, blah, blah. I'm committed. <laughs> um, 
and to arrive here and have the opportunity to even ask these questions and have someone with such skill to hold the space and be with people who are so honest and heartfelt, even though we don't see each other a lot, because even though we ha have completely different backgrounds and walks of life, I just, yeah, I'm enormously happy and excited and humbled um, how lucky we are. Thank you so much. Not, you know, everyone. That's a good way to finish. Um, well, that's a part of what we hope for the space. I am convinced. I said that was a good way to finish. Now I'm going to say something else. But I, but I do feel like um, this kind of community should be an honest one. And I feel like sometimes religious structures are very good at stopping us from being honest with each other about our doubts, our fears, our insecurities, our worries, our anxieties, our, our hopes and joys and, and faith. Um, but what we're hoping to open up is a space where we can actually say, well, you know what, I don't even know what to do with that. Um, or I don't even know if I believe that. Or I believe that wholeheartedly and for us to be able to hold that together with one another and listen to each other and hear each other's stories and find God present in the midst of that. And when we do that, we are actually participating in the tradition of Scripture itself. Um, and so that's what we're trying to do. Thank you. Uh, let me say a prayer, and then we're going to have some dinner. Cool? Oh, why don't you stand up? Yeah. God, uh, I am grateful, just as even as Katarina has shared, I'm grateful for the space, I'm grateful for these people, some of whom I know well, some of whom I do not. And yet we find ourselves here in the same space, in a sacred space, thinking about you, all thinking different things, believing slightly different things, and yet sitting and standing and talking together about you and about life and trying to figure this out. So may we continue to find you present um, among us as we gather and also with us as we go into the different stories and alleyways and uh, wanderings in all of the different directions we go during the course of the week. May we find you present with us on the road and also present among us as we come together and gather and our stories collide again. May somehow, even in the unknowing and the knowing, uh, would we be finding ourselves transformed. Amen.